basket of knowledge to nurture and nourish the haora, the well-being of the community and voluntary sector. It is a collection of taonga treasures, including wānanga, podcasts and videos that will support you, your whānau and your community. Kia ora koutou katoa, ko Michelle Kitney, toko um, It's a great pleasure to be with you guys today. Um, I lead Volunteering New Zealand. Nice. Any other qualifications like a mama or auntie or nene or ah, <laughs> lawyer? <laughs> oh, such a great um, point. So many um, other elements to uh, who I am. Uh, I am a mama, mama of three children, three boys. I've got uh, two beautiful eleven-year-olds, twins, and a fifteen-year-old. I've got a wonderful husband as well very fortunate to have a really great family I yeah I'm the chair of Ballyfall New Zealand which is a real privilege as well I could go I could go on for a very long time about a whole bunch of other stuff lots of hats <clears throat> that kind of leads us into wearing those lots of hats <laughs> Michelle Kitney um today we're here talking around Haura and I suppose uh some discovery around the levels of care that you as leaders have within this sector uh, with regards to hold and well-being. And, um, you know, when you talk about many hats, I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> um, so in terms of your hold and your well-being and, and what you're seeing in the community sector, what do you believe are some of the biggest challenges that we're currently encountering or facing within the community sector? Um, I guess one of the underlying factors is how... The COVID pandemic has really just amplified the amount of work we've all had to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And our sector runs on passion and commitment in spades a lot more, um, and a lot more of that than funding (laughs) quite often. Um, The needs have, um, we know, have been quite exacerbated across the sector through the COVID pandemic. They were already huge already, but they've been exacerbated through uh, the pandemic. I think on the flip side, in terms of those hats, we see people who lead community organisations are often doing it with a small team and they're even within their um, organisation, they're wearing many hats. So a CE and our environment will be um, responsible for funding, supporting the governance, um, you know, in charge of HR, in charge of the well-being of their team um, and yeah, it's it's a really busy job for all of us and really demanding and also we're all driven from a values-based place quite often and wanting to give and do the best by our communities and um, when that need is um, and opportunities to support and work with our communities are so vast, uh, there's just a lot of work to do and mm. we, you know, we've talked about my hats, 
um, as well as all my hats within my job. Um, I have all the other hats in my family and my uh, other volunteering roles where I have to um, balance all those out. It doesn't leave much time outside of um, all of those things for my own individual kind of well-being to be uh, a priority. And how do you do that balance? Because that's, uh, that's a lot of different hats that you're wearing. How do you find that space in there to prioritise your own personal aura? Or a- don't you? <laughs> <laughs> the question is, do you or don't you? Yes, I do. Um, in, but I could do better. Um, and I know I've learned over the last couple of years it's about actually making it a priority. And the key for me would be to be blocking in um, time or and or a sort of a structure something in the structure of my day that um, enables me to uh, do something for my own well-being um, or hauora so for example I walked here mm, for nice. 30 minutes and um, uh, so there's simple things that you can do like that um, and but when you're it, checking your phone when you're walking or listening to a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I did check my phone. Yes, that was a good point. Um, <laughs> but if I, um, yeah, so there's a there's a question about switching off, right, as well, and boundaries. Mm. Um, so, and I, th- I think it's been really hard over the last couple of years in a COVID pandemic environment. We've, um, from my, in my role, we've had to be really reactive. So we've been super busy um, and uh there were times in the first lockdown where it was definitely bleeding out significantly into the weekends. Uh, I think now I'm, you know, making sure not working at weekends is a challenge, but it's actually, you know, having some boundaries, self-imposed boundaries that um, keep it within a sort of box. And how did you claw back those boundaries? If you're saying already it had kind of bled into, you know, maybe evenings and weekends, did you just make that conscious decision? Like how did you manage your workload? Because that that was obviously showing that you were doing additional work outside of work hours. How did, how did you claw that back? I guess what I know or learnt or, you know, as a leader of an organisation, I have to take responsibility for boxing it in, um, not just for myself but for my team and role modelling that as well. So having to potentially just say no to some things and being in the sort of pandemic environment, it was there was so much. But actually, as we sort of moved out of that, focusing back in, a, in our purpose and our um, what does our BAU look like into the future, boxing that down to um, manageable stuff for the for an organisation our size. How did that feel saying no? It's a good question. I still um, there's a bit of guilt or a bit of like I guess a feeling that we could do more. There's always more to do. And this is more of a, a longer-term journey thing, but um, and I probably direct this more at myself than my team, but um, I've had to deal with um, perfectionism. Oh. Over word. the course of my lifetime. And um, <clears throat> I guess um, letting go of that is um, mm. important. Um, I guess I'm quite determined to finish what I start and have set myself quite high standards and I guess there's a mind shift to make from you know perfectionism to actually 
doing a bloody good job is actually probably enough. Mm. Not necessarily perfectly, but done. I wrote down, because not only along with perfectionism, but also passion and how much they can get in the way of you saying no. Because I feel like that that would probably be a good part I to actually pose to many of the leaders within the sector is because we've heard that word passion actually come through in all the cordial today, which is just so heartening to hear. But where's the line drawn between passion and perfectionism and saying no? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no pressure. It's like a, this is a rhetorical question. Right now. <laughs> um, I, I am actually flipping it. Um, mm. There's a sense of what makes me happy in my job and what draws me in to loving it and being really, really happy in my role generally is that it's in the, the purpose side yes. of it and a values alignment and actually the connection to that and to people who share those things actually uh, makes me very happy and very and actually fills my well-being. But in terms of your question, I think the challenge is to connect your passion back to the purpose of the organisation and but also match it to the resources and what's important now and chunking it down to we have big aspirations um, and really massive um, things to achieve but actually we don't have to deliver it all right now um, we've kind of got to take little steps towards those big passionate purposeful goals and I think that like people will often say, how's mahi? But it, sometimes it doesn't feel like mahi because you are so passionate, because you do love it and you actually enjoy it, that it doesn't feel like it's actually like working nine to five, you know? <laughs> it, it feels more than that. How do you find space for you, Michelle, in all this? I think the other, like, so it's not just about space for me, it's about space for our family, <laughs> um, their well-being, you know, if if that's out of kilter as well, then that's um, yes. going to make the space even more crowded. Uh, an overarching kind of thing that makes me happy and actually keeps the balance is actually ensuring that in that, when we're talking about blocking stuff out and having room and space, is actually that I have enough space both in time and emotional capacity for my children and my husband um and actually that does make me happy like being a parent and being a good parent and being the parent that my children need actually fills my boat and um that probably fills up most of the rest of my time outside work one of the things that actually I love the fact that uh, my children get to see me do a job um, that is a leadership job and that they're proud of me and that they they understand that I work in a role that adds social value to the world. For me, uh, individually, it's just simple things like exercise. I'm very lucky that I can go for a walk on the beach quite regularly because we live very close to the beach. Um, and that connection to environment is really important so we have had this awesome additional well-being contributor net contributor to our whanau recently in the last two years post-covid we got a dog mm. which is a privilege in itself but um she's actually brought <laughs> immense well-being to our family 
in terms of another being to love. Um, she is a total joy, but she's also a, a circuit breaker. Like she has to go for a walk. She loves to go to the beach. Um, the mm. children all love her. So uh, another really, really small thing that um, I do um, with my husband is in the morning, he'll make a coffee and then we'll do the wordle. And it's only like... <laughs> It's only like eight minutes or sometimes a lot, bit longer if I get stuck on the wordle. It's a time where we, yeah, we have a routine and it's something little. Nice. Yeah. And if I was feeling um, a bit flushed, then I might do something like have a massage. Something that's really a little bit indulgent. But that could be as simple as taking half an hour extra lunchtime and doing something that you need to do or giving yourself treats. We're all for the treats. We are definitely all for the treats. <laughs> I love treats. <laughs> so, Michelle, um, what have been some of the challenges in your own sort of haora journey? Definitely in COVID, I learned that um, it doesn't matter how mentally resilient you are, if your body's, like, not feeling it, then that's a really big issue. You know, that's, that's really going to actually stop you being resilient. So actually maintaining resilience, mental resilience, actually requires an investment of time, exercise, all that sort of stuff. Um, having had children, I've had some things that happen in to you, uterus and things like that that have um, impacted on my health. And also I also I had gestational diabetes when I was pregnant with the twins. And so that put me at higher risk of type 2 diabetes. So um, I'd been screened for it annually for a long time but I missed it in the first lockdown and then at the end of the year I wasn't feeling too flash and turns out that I'd kind of got to a situation where I was stepped into having type 2 diabetes so that actually was probably why I wasn't feeling so flash um, and then I also had sorry Walkman's details but f- a big fibroid on my uterus which actually making me lose a lot of blood um which I just thought was natural aging mm, things I kind of, of yeah dismissed it dismissed it and it's that had probably been coming along for quite a while um and even the symptoms that I might have been feeling in relation to the type 2 I was sort of dismissing it as oh, I'm just tired yeah Being, did your busyness get in the way of you actually listening to your body I would say so yeah um but I think there's this other thing that sits under it. it's not just Busyness. Busyness. It's almost like I was ex- I was sort of like, oh, this just must be what it's like to be a parent of twins. Oh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> I'd yes. gone for quite a long time without a lot of sleep for the first four years of their lives. So um, it was almost like a not knowing that I should feel a bit better than I was. Yes. Um, so, so you just had an acceptance so, of how you were feeling. You just had an acceptance yeah. of how you were feeling. And yeah. I think it was a quite a gradual <clears throat> change. Like it had happened, but it was before COVID that it had started. So, uh, yeah, just it just built up over time. And I just thought it's being a parent, it's mm. working full time, and it's um, COVID-related busyness. Both of those things are now completely sorted. And I feel the impact on my sleep and a whole pile of the stuff has really change for the better so that's actually had a really amazing impact on my overall feeling of well-being actually so not surprisingly yeah (laughs) yeah so I spent quite a bit of time probably in almost being anemic without realizing it and I think just some basic health tests blood tests to check your iron and things like that for women things Mm. can change and you don't necessarily um know that it's actually about you know things something you can fix Mm. easily 
I think there's still some fear for people to go to the doctor sometimes, you know. There's there's some fear of having blood tests and the fear of the results because I think we've all had people that have gone to the doctor for a checkup to only discover that they're a little bit sicker than what we had anticipated. But um, I just wanted to uh, first of all acknowledge you for making the time for yourself, and um, and it's such a it's such a statement from a mum because you just think, oh, I'm just tired. I'm just tired from from the different hats that we're wearing, you know. And oh, yeah, that little niggle. That's it'll just go away eventually. I don't have time. I don't have space. But deep down, I actually don't really want to know either. You know, mm. so I think to acknowledge all of that, yeah, it's admirable, and I just need to mahiti you for that. Uh, the the other thing is, is what's your aspiration for your haora? You know, like if you think about, okay, what is the Michelle who's just you know living and breathing haora and really nurturing herself? What does that mean for you? What is it? You know, I always think about the senses. What does it look like? Smell like? Taste like? Sound like? And feel like for you? As well as the senses, it's about long, you know, health for the long period yes. and the long, you know, into my ripe old age. But for me, it's I guess feeling content and happy. Mm. It looks like balance, you know, where there's time for everything, which is probably um, possibly a pipe dream. Mm. The thing I realised recently is that my children will be very grown up very soon, and um, yes, we have a we have a short window to keep making amazing memories with them and that's sort of um, having that goal at the front of our mind is like planning our lives and what we're going to do with the kids. It's like how can we best build the most awesome memories for us as a family while we still remain in the same household, Mm. which could be a long time, depends when they leave, but (laughs) could be quite short. So, yeah, holding that sort of balance of happy family life. So a lot of what you're picking up on is about making space and prioritising. And uh, what about the times when you felt like maybe you've prioritised wrongly or even not intentionally prioritised but things have kind of um, become a priority and, and your energy or your time has gone there? Could you just talk a little bit about that and and what you learnt from those experiences? Because obviously you're you're further down now and you're thinking about that. But there's no sort of... Uh, finite space right where you suddenly get to this mystical place where everything's all balanced so you know maybe tell us a little bit about what you learned through those times when the priorities were slightly skewed and you felt like this is not actually what you wanted and you had to pull back and change your priorities there's a lot in that question (laughs) um probably you don't necessarily mentally kind of analytically get there it's often a feeling right that it feels stressful you can't you know maybe can't focus on things as much as you want to or there's too many things to focus on so I think I know that I've probably reached the point that um things are out of kilter if I feel like I need to go for a run (laughs) (laughs) that's a good warning sign as opposed to lying on lying down (laughs) yes Conversely, if I started to be a bit irrational, lose my call with the kids or, you know, something like that. So you have a little alarm that goes off that says, warning, warning. Definitely during COVID in the first year. Uh, And I think also working at home, it's quite hard to have those boundaries. So I actually personally love the flexibility that working from home gives you, but actually blocking out work is a thing that you do uh, in a time and space that doesn't bleed into your 
home life is really important as well, which doesn't quite answer the question. But um, I think well, you've answered okay, the are question. Are you sure? <laughs> I feel like my perfectionism is kicking in and I don't feel like I have. 80%, remember. Okay. Yeah. 80% is fine. <laughs> okay, good. So you're the CEO of Volunteering New Zealand. How many volunteers? We are quite a small team. We've only got about eight staff, which collectively is approximately four FTE, so quite a small team. So when we work with volunteers in our organisation, we can be quite bespoke. So we usually use work with between two to three at one time. But obviously our board's all volunteers. Uh, We have a wonderful youth advisory group, all volunteers as well. So about 20 permanent volunteers doing those sort of roles. As the CEO of Volunteering New Zealand, knowing not just that team that you talk about, but the many thousands of people across New Zealand who are volunteers, you know, how do you deal with the expectation of uh, people looking to you to lead? And how do you set, like you've spoken to us about what you do, but within the workplace, within those people that you're looking after, what kind of things are you nurturing for them with regards to the work that they're doing Yeah, and the contributions that they're making? We're quite lucky to have such a great purpose and co-papa in our work that I think I know that my team are very happy in the work that they do and feel fulfilled in the work that they do. We are a small team which enables us to be relatively bespoke Um, in terms of roles and responsibility. So when we work with um, a volunteer in our organisation, we're privileged enough to kind of sit down and have a conversation and say, what do you want to get out of this? What do you want to give? What do you want to learn? Give them a, a menu of things to choose from and kind of negotiate what working together might look like. So mm. it's sort of a, a mutual agreement about how we're going to work together and what we're going to do. For my team, nobody works extra hours, apart from mm-hmm. me um, at times. <laughs> um, I guess thinking about the last couple of years for governance volunteers, it's been a really tough couple of years um, for many. And when someone volunteers with you, it's a choice that they make and they're giving their time to you willingly and freely. So a volunteer's well-being is just as important as a paid staff member's well-being. I think the other flip side of it is that it's not always as seen or as talked about, but actually a lot of people volunteer for connection, giving back, interaction, all sorts of different reasons. But it's been a bit trickier over the last couple of years In the COVID environment, a lot of what people get out of volunteering hasn't been as to the fore with the restrictions and less people interaction, things like that have impacted on possibly how people have felt about their volunteering experiences. I know some challenges, but... What makes you do (coughs) a voluntary role yourself? Because you've got a paid role. (coughs) You've also got a voluntary role. What, What made you do a voluntary role as well? Because you've talked about affirmation, how that gives you a, a sort of contributes to your personal sense of self and well-being. For me, the thing that brings me in is the people and the connecting. And what brought me to Bellyful, originally I started off wanting to do the cooking because um, the giving of food and that connection um, and supporting families with new babies I totally you know, was totally drawn to that and food for me and is family and love and mm. um mm. 
the other thing I was going to say before is that um, in terms of the five well-beings, the five ways to well-being, connecting and giving, that's volunteering. I actually wanted to ask you both a question because I think that why well, we've, we've got them here. When we began to look at Tato Tato, what inspired you and what was your motivation to put something on the table for our community sector? So, yeah, what was your vision for Tato Tato? I, I think for me it was about bringing Haora into visibility. Mm-hmm. It's a core about how we're able to actually continue on and, and help the helpers effectively in the sector. And uh, without that visibility, it's just something that's kind of ticking along in the background. And we see a lot of tired people, a lot of people feeling quite isolated, Uh, you know, a lot of CEs and general managers running, community leaders running a group, running an organisation, just feeling quite alone. And so really it was about helping people not feel alone, helping Mm -hmm. us share our stories, so us being open and honest and vulnerable and sharing our stories and helping to start to really have a kōrero in this space. We need people to help us. Ultimately, we help the helpers, but ultimately we need people, we need skills, we need resources to make sure that we are not only focused on community care, but we're also focused on our own personal well-being. Uh, And only through that, through that wellspring, do you have anything to offer then into the community and voluntary sector. If, if you're kind of burnt out or empty or not refilling your spring, then uh, at a certain point, your body or your brain or your whānau will tell you that's enough. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the busyness, you, ca- you can't hear it, you don't hear it. So the idea for Tato Tato was to start to provide a kind of space where we could have, have this kind of kōrero, we could um, bring visibility to what is a fundamental part of who we all are. We're all driven by passion and values. But well-being is a, is a foundation, like haora is a foundation of that. Um, we're not going to be able to keep going unless we put some energy into it, some focus into it, some resourcing into it. And out of that will grow uh, a sustainability, I think, for us as a, as a sector, as uh, organisations, as individuals. So has your inspiration been the people working in the sector? You know, you're inspired to elevate the kōrero and the whakaaroa around haora, around wellbeing. What are you hoping that Tato Tato achieves? Because we've got a whole raft of uh, initiatives and things that we want to do. What are you hoping the impact will be? I hope that we are able to give something of value through collaboration and to potentially connect into the sector some conversations around well-being and mm. even if there's a few more people to have the kōrero with or there's more connection with individuals or even these podcasts, understanding and learning from others and hearing about how other individuals are dealing with or coping with or not coping with are all things that can move us along a progression in terms of understanding. I'm sure I'm going to learn a heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, another inspiration is you, Tuihana. Um yeah, so. Is there anything you want to add to that? No, don't. Don't really. Don't. Don't. don't no, want. I'm totally inspired by you as well, too, honey. I, 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 I felt like there was a gap there that I that I had to affirm. <laughs> no, I just, I, I think that um, in listening to you both, uh, what I find so inspirational about Tato Tato 
is the um, passion behind it and the and the kind of wanting to lift the veil of tiredness. It sounds like puno kōrero doesn't happen often at a leadership level within the sector about saying, hey, I'm tired, hey, I'm busy, hey, I'm actually getting a little bit burnt out here. This is almost feels like we're giving them permission to put their hand up to be puno in their kōrero and say, hey, excuse me, fuck yes, I'm tired. <laughs> and I actually just want to whakata, I just want to break. And I feel like it's a sector that's full of such passionate people who want to give so much heart and soul to the community and to the space that I just feel like there's so many stories and so many voices that are unheard because while we all go about living our corporate lives or or living our lives there's just so much work that goes on that's unseen and I feel like that that's the community that's the that's the sector the sector is unseen unless you're in it it seems to go unseen Mm -hmm. and yet I know through so much of the work that we've done one of the greatest ways of, you know, not only is it about people feeling valued, that's great for well-being, but actually the the art of reciprocity or the aroha mai, aroha atu, and I keep saying that whakatauki, but reciprocity and that giving is what is actually one of the greatest things that you can do for your well-being too, is giving back to others, is making that time. So I, I feel really passionate about Tato Tato, but I just need to acknowledge you too for the vision that you've had in bringing this project together. Just want to mihi to you both. I've done lots of mihis today. Um, lots of, but to mihi to you both and, and also to acknowledge CSI as well, but for the vision of bringing this together. You know, because CSI had a vision, you had a vision, and I was just like, actually, it's kind of the same vision. So how do we collectively and collaboratively bring that together to have this greater vision and therefore hopefully greater impact, not just on individuals. It's another one of my things. Not just on individuals, but also on your families and then also on hapuri, eh, which is at the heart of everything that I think that we're talking about and doing in here. So, yeah, that's my little rant for the day. (laughs) One. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to mahita you both, and I'm excited about where this project's going to go. But I hope that people hear us, hear this kōrero today from these amazing leaders that we're speaking in the podcast. I hope that they also feel it. And I just think that it's that one of the clear messages we want to send out it is, is definitely okay to put your hand up and to talk to somebody. You've been listening to a Tato Tato podcast with Tuihana and Rochelle. Proudly brought to you by Huie Community Aotearoa, Volunteering New Zealand, Centre for Social Impact and Wu Wellbeing. Tēnā koutou, tēnā ratatou katoa.